Greek mythology tells us of a beautiful youth who loved no one until the day he saw his own reflection in the water. And he fell in love with that reflection. He was so lovesick that he finally wasted away and died and was turned into a flower that bears his name, Narcissus. I am personally convinced in my own heart that narcissism is at the root of every broken home and at the root of every divorce in this country. Narcissism is at the very core of the heartache for those who are victims of divorce, whether they are children or adults. And I pray to God there will be no trace of narcissism in any of our hearts. A lady who came to me and was talking about how that she was absolutely adamant that the marriage is over. And as I began to probe and began to listen and began to hear what she's saying, and finally she said, look, you don't understand. We are both in love with one person. Him. (laughs) And that reminded me of the husband who won a trip for two to Hawaii. He went twice. What I want to confess to you, a basic reluctance on my part to deal with these two verses as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And this reluctance partially because divorce is an emotional and complex subject. But even more than that, it is a subject that touches emotions at a very deep level. My friend and mentor John Stott said the following words, and he can express them far better than I can express my own feelings. There is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. And almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God means for love and fulfillment into non-relationship, bitterness, discord, and dispute." Well said, John Stott. I have seen and felt with some of you who have suffered the painful experience of divorce. And believe me, it is not my desire to add to that pain. But it is out of genuine conviction that what Jesus is teaching us here is intrinsically good for all of us, single or married, divorced or not that I want to deal with this passage afresh. In fact, the passage in Matthew 19, where the Pharisees have come really trying to trip Jesus into taking sides in the debate that was going on, and I'm coming to that in a minute. You notice that he refused to be drawn into that debate. He refused to be trapped by the Pharisees. Instead, he focused on marriage. And from my limited experience, I have seen it again and again. That divorce is pursued because of ignorance about biblical marriage. And our need today is not for more enlightened approach to divorce, but a thorough understanding of the biblical view of marriage. Our need is not for more and more ways to make divorce easier and easier, but to learn what God is telling us about Christian marriages. Jews in the time of Jesus were becoming more and more influenced 
not by their own Torah, not by their own Bible, but by the lifestyle of the Greeks, by the lifestyle of the Romans. They were influenced by their worldview of marriage relationship. And that was not a very pretty picture. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ had to set the record straight. He had to point them back to Genesis. He had to point them back to what God said. He had to point them back what God's intention for marriage is all about. Because those views of the Greeks and the Romans of the time of Jesus at best were iniquitous. And at worst were disastrous, particularly for women. During the time of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus and His earthly ministry, there was a raging debate among the Jews about the whole question of marriage and divorce. And they were divided into two camps. They were divided into two schools of interpretation. The fundamentalist camp, championed by school of Shemaiah, took Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1 literally. God said divorce only in the case of adultery, and that's what they believed, that only adultery will cause a divorce. Now some of the rabbis in the school of Shemaiah said, let a wife be as mischievous as Jezebel. She cannot be divorced except for adultery. But then there was a second group of rabbis who are equivalent to the liberals of our day. And they were championed by a rabbi known as Hillel. The school of Hillel defined indecency or defined unchastity as anything they wanted to mean. They had a wide interpretation of it. But isn't that typical of liberals? You know, liberals have no moral compass. Liberals have no moral boundaries. Liberals have no more moral absolutes. Their morality is mercurial depending on the circumstances. And the liberals in Jesus' day defined indecency or unchastity, anything from burning the food to adding too much salt to it, to speaking disrespectfully to her husband in public. In fact, uh, there was a famous liberal rabbi by the name of Akiba who said, and I quote, he said, indecency includes meeting another woman who is more attractive than your wife. (laughs) I want to tell you, there are a lot of followers of Akiba in our day In the first century of Christianity, liberal rabbis made divorce to be easier and easier and easier. So much so that girls were unwilling to marry because to them, marriage is so insecure. But Jesus refused to get involved in that ensuing argument. He refused to get involved in this ensuing debate. Instead, he is not going to take this side or that side. He said, I want to tell you God's side. I want to tell you what the Father says. I want to tell you what our intention from the beginning is all about in terms of marriage. And that's what I want to focus my attention also. Mainly, what makes a good and godly marriage work? What are the necessary ingredients for a fulfilled marriage, for a biblically sound marriage? And I have two thoughts. First of all, iron-clad commitment to one another. Commitment, almost a dirty word in our generation. An iron-clad commitment. Secondly, a caring communication in marriage. I want to interrupt myself here for a minute and just, and just speak to those who have been through divorce. That while divorce is 
indeed painful, while divorce is destructive, and it is something of which the Bible said God hates, but it is not an unredeemable condition. If you have been through it, don't spend the rest of your life beating yourself up with guilt, false or otherwise, and regrets. Learn from your pain and move forward with the Lord. Find out what God says in His Word about confession, about repentance, about restoration, and help others whom are about to take a leap into that darkness. First of all, commitment. Jesus said, it meant from the beginning for the man to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. God's concept of marriage, please hear me right, God's concept of marriage is that of an ironclad commitment to one another. That commitment is involving two distinct people who bind themselves in a covenant, who bind themselves for life. And the very word cleave means to stick to, to be glued to. And once you are bound to each other, your bond becomes the most significant thing in your life. Your lives revolve around that covenant like the earth revolves around the sun. Someone asked me last week at the end of the service, and they said, does this church believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? I pointed him out that this is deeply rooted in our Reformed tradition. Why? Because God is a covenant-making God. Because God does not love us and enter into a covenant with us when we are spiritual, and then when we fumble, He throws us out and takes our names out of the book of life. No, this is not our God. God is a covenant-making God, and in His covenants, He said that they are for eternity. And marriage commitment in God's eye works out the same way. That covenants do not get broken depending on the whims and the feelings of one party. That covenants just don't become obsolete because someone doesn't feel like it. Covenants between two believers in marriage is for life. I think most of you know that uh, I tend to be on the impatient side, although I'm doing better. <laughs> but sometimes when I listen, so some of squabbling between couples and the disputes and the arguments, and some of them are so superficial, and I'm not saying they all are, but some of them are so superficial between couples, and how some at least want to end the marriage lightly, so lightly, over silly things. And my mind goes back to the first grader, this little girl, Melanie, who came home one day and she said to her mother, she said, I'm engaged to be married to Danny, who sits next to me in class. Her mother just grinned and let that go. And the next day she came in and she said, Mommy, she said, the engagement is off. <laughs> the engagement is broken. And her mother said, why? And the little girl said, well, Danny is just not ready for marrying yet. <laughs> she said, besides that, he scribbled in my coloring book. <laughs> Marriage is a lot of scribbling in each other's coloring books. <laughs> Marriage is a lot of squabbling and disagreeing. <laughs> Marriage is give and give and give and give some more. And the only thing that breaks that bond of commitment and covenant is adultery or death. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. But even then, it doesn't have to be that way. Because God is interested in forgiveness. God is interested in restoration. God is interested in confession. God is interested in reconciliation. One indiscretion is not the unpardonable sin. And I'm speaking of an indiscretion, not a continuous habitual life of unfaithfulness. The Greek word here means that. It means continuous life of unfaithfulness, habitual unfaithfulness. And I believe the intention of the text here is that individual, this adulterer who does not stop. In that case, marriage is broken in divorce. How can we affair-proof our marriages and guard against temptation? Listen carefully, please. I don't want you to misunderstand me here. First of all, you must discover your spouse's needs. And then with God's power and with God's strength, move into fulfilling those needs. Here is the survey that was conducted recently. And the survey concluded that there are five top needs for women, and there are five top needs for men, and the two are different. Here are the top five needs for women. Affection, communication, openness, honesty, financial support, family commitment, in that order. Here are the top five needs of men. Sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, an attractive wife, (laughs) domestic support, admiration, in that order. Now I know There are some individuals who give their spouses what they need. And they think that they're going to get back that in return. Listen to me, please. I'm going to tell you, you're barking up the wrong tree. But when you learn to give your spouse what he or she needs, not what you need, you will have come a long way toward eliminating the need for him or her to look elsewhere for fulfillment. If each spouse seeks to meet his or her spouse's deepest needs, we would have joyful marriages. If each of us would stop being narcissistic and work diligently at finding out how to please our spouse and how we go about it, we will have most contented marriages. Now you notice I didn't say perfect marriages because there's no such thing. Just in case in your head you think there's a perfect marriage somewhere, it doesn't exist. In heaven, well, we won't be marriage in heaven, so I was going to say in heaven. But it doesn't exist on earth. I love it when people say, well, that marriage is made in heaven. You know what my response is? Yeah, so is the thunder and lightning. <laughs> Someone would say, now wait, just, just wait a minute. For me to do this is going to take time and going to take energy and it's going to effort and I just don't have that kind of time. Well, think with me just for a minute. If you want to get in good shape, you go and work out, right? If you want to get ahead in your profession or your vocation, you work long and you work hard, right? That takes time. <laughs> then tell me, please, why in heaven's name... When it comes to marriage, that we think that it should happen without any effort, without any energy, without any time. It doesn't make sense. Which brings me to the secondly, to a caring communication. A readership of a popular women's magazine asked the question, if you want to change your husband, what would you change? 
You know what the overwhelming response was? Communication. Well, by that, I don't mean men communicating facts. <laughs> you see, men love to communicate facts. Women love to communicate feelings. So what's the answer? The answer is that women must learn how to communicate facts. And that men must learn how to communicate feelings. I'm not hearing any amens, but that's all right. (laughs) It's like that husband who's forever forgetting his wedding anniversary. And I tell you, man, I know I forget too. And I got a a little bit of an absent-minded professor in me. And we forget. But I want to give you an advice. This is not the story yet. I'm coming to my story. but, But I want to give the men advice who forget anniversaries. I want to tell you, I'll give you a freebie. A cure that will never make you forget anniversary again. Forget it once. (laughs) I'll take care of it. Well, this man was forever forgetting their anniversary. Year after, he constantly forget that anniversary day. So at breakfast one morning, his wife sheepishly said to him, I bet you don't know what day this is. You know, you don't don't you hate it when they do that? Instead of being humble and said, yeah, what day is this? He said, kind of indignantly, he said, of course I know what day this is. And then he left and went to work. <laughs> Ten o'clock in the morning, the doorbell rang. And when the wife opened the door, she was handed a box containing a dozen long stem roses. She said, wow, that's not wonderful. 1 p.m., the doorbell rang again. There's a foil wrap two-pound box of her favorite chocolate. And she said, wow, what a day. Well, that afternoon, she received from a boutique a designer dress. By that time, she thought she'd either went to heaven. (laughs) And she couldn't wait for her husband to come home. (laughs) I mean, first the flowers, then the candy, then the dress. You know, she said, this is incredible. She exclaimed to herself, she said, I have never spent more wonderful Groundhog Day in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Next time I ask, it's a lot cheaper. (laughs) Two ingredients for a Christ-centered marriage, for a successful marriage, ironclad commitment to one another, followed by caring communication. Someone may be asking, what do you mean caring communication? Is there such a thing as uncaring communication? You better believe it. (laughs) Men, spouting orders and issuing edicts to your wives, that is uncaring communication. Amen, women? God bless you. (laughs) Women, making unreasonable demands and blackmailing your spouse, your husband, is an uncaring communication. Amen, men? Amen. <laughs> Giving your wife a toolbox for her birthday <laughs> is an uncaring communication. <laughs> Ladies, giving your husband a gift certificate for a pedicure is not a very caring communication. <laughs> a lady made an appointment to come and say, she was not a member of our church. She just called and uh, came and began to talk to me. She said... Uh, My husband and I are getting a divorce. I said, oh, what's the problem? She said, we have been to every counselor in the city. We have been to every minister in the city. And um, they couldn't help us. You know what? When somebody says that to me, 
I mean, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, I just I said, what in the world? I don't have a magic wand. I'm the, I'm the least capable of helping. But be that as it may, and she started talking, and I said, what's really the problem? And in one sentence, she said, well, my husband and I just come from two different cultural backgrounds. I said, okay, now I know. She needs my help. She thinks that I know a little bit about that. So I said to her, I said, where are you from? She said, well, I'm from South Georgia. I said, well, what country is your husband from? <laughs> God is my witness. She looked at me. She said, no, he's not from another country. I said, well, where is he from? She said, he's from North Georgia. <laughs> I said, just help me understand this. I told you I'm in the impatient size. <laughs> You're from South Georgia. He's from North Georgia. And you come from two cultural different backgrounds? And you're having problems over that issue? I began to explainify to her where I come from or where Elizabeth comes from. I think by that time, bless her heart, she thought she had it easy. So she, I hope she's still married. <laughs> Ironclad commitment and loving communication. You see, the heart sometimes communicates without even the words have to come out. Words are important too. Don't use it as an excuse. <laughs> But these are the two ingredients for a Christ-centered marriage to succeed. And this is the best way to a fair-proof your marriage. You know, lifting up and encouraging one another. That's a command for all the Christians to do with each other in the body. But I think it's more relevant and more poignant to husband and wife. Of lifting up one another, encouraging one another. I want to give you a wonderful Example of how a husband and wife uplift one another and, and put each other in the highest esteem. Sir Winston Churchill was attending a formal banquet with a number of other dignitaries, and, and these prominent individuals were already told beforehand that uh, they will be asked the question, and the question is this If you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Naturally, of course, everybody was curious as to what Winston Churchill is going to say. As sitting there at that banquet with his beloved Clemmy next to him. And Churchill, of course, some people expect him to say by Caesar or you know, some of his natural wit and Bonaparte or something like that. But uh, when his turn came, when he's the last one to speak, he got up and uh, he repeated the question. And he said, if I could not be who I am, I would like to be. And then he paused. And he took his wife's hand, and then he continued. He said, Lady Churchill's second husband. (laughs) The commitment to building up your spouse is the second best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is praise and uplift the name of the Lord Jesus. And I honestly don't know of a a genuine person who uplifts the name of the Lord Jesus who has difficulty uplifting their spouse. Let me ask you, in this hallowed moment, and please don't say, my spouse needs to hear this, my neighbor needs to hear this, You need to hear this and I need to hear this. As God my witness, I always preach that to myself before I have this 
holy privilege of standing here and preaching to you. I want to ask you if narcissism is destroying your marriage. If you, whether you're single or married, if you being wrapped up in yourself, murdering relationships all over the place, is being in love with yourself making you wilt and fade away? I have seen it too often to doubt it. And when it's genuine willingness to open your heart up and to dethrone the self, dethrone narcissism, and put the Lord Jesus on the throne, marriage become joyful again. And with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to pray. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today and is knocking on your heart and your door, I beg you that you would deal with that because otherwise it will we'll turn into a callous. Say, Lord, I surrender to you my narcissism. I surrender to you my being wrapped up in myself and in my life and in my profession and to my kingdom. I want to be a person who can praise you and uplift your name and uplift my spouse and, and my friends and those who are in relationship with me. God will answer that prayer if there's a genuine determination in our hearts today. Our King and our Master, we come to you with hearts perhaps are broken. There are some other hearts that are hardened. And Father, we pray that you'll break the hardened hearts and that you would mend the broken hearts today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll deal with us in a decisive way. Father, we pray that you'll deal with us once and for all, that we will learn what it is to dethrone the self and put you on the throne. And that we, men and women, confirm to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.